This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Ann Nicholson-Weber, and my guest is Stuart Carden. Stuart is the Associate Artistic Director at Writers Theater, and he's here because one of the many jobs he does for writers is to be the producer and interviewer for a series called The Making Of. Um, these are live events that Writers holds uh, where Stuart interviews artists involved with a current production. And I went to the most recent one, which was uh, an interview of Kimberly Sr. talking about her work on The Letters. And I thought it was a really interesting format, very successful. And so I've asked Stuart to talk to me about it. Maybe the place to start, Stuart, is for you to uh, elaborate a little bit on what I just said in describing what the series is. Um, the Making of series started three seasons ago. Uh one of the things that is really important to me as um, an art artistic administrator and as the associate artistic director of Writers Theater is getting access points for our audience into the uh, theater making part of the experience. Um, there are clearly audience members that love to engage just the actual performances, but we noticed that there was also a, a lot of hunger in our post-show discussions to learn more about the actual nuts and bolts of making theater and what went into it. Um, and so uh, that became very important uh, to me, and we decided to kick off this series um, and feature for each show a different designer or a different element of the show uh, and bring in a, a guest speaker to, to talk about the, uh, the process of um, their design element. So we'll bring in a, in a scenic designer and they'll talk about uh, initial conversations with directors all the way through to uh, opening night. Um, and uh, it's a really great opportunity for me to have artistic conversations with artists that I don't always get to have because mm -hmm. we're so busy um, uh, putting together up. a season and getting the show up <laughs> right. that um, it has been very rewarding for me as an artist mm -hmm. to be able to sit down with very exciting designers and now the first time with Kimberly as a director uh, and talk about process. And I think the the value for our audience that comes and they come religiously to these. I see the same faces uh, um, at a lot of these Make It Up series is that they get an inside um, view of uh, what type of work goes into what ends up on our stage. And I hope that it gives them more appreciation and respect for and um, pleasure in the in the viewing of the piece mm -hmm. when they have some insights and and it's a mix. It's interesting. There's a mix of people that come that have already seen the show and also audience members that haven't seen the show. And we try not to give anything away plot wise. Um, I thought there was a hunger out there, but I was su surprised the degree uh, to which this has been attended, which is we regularly have between sixty five and seventy five and uh, uh, and above um, attendees for each one of these conversations. Yeah. Well, I, I was interested that you right away talked about the talkbacks, um, mm -hmm. that maybe the impulse came out of talkbacks. I always think uh, talkbacks can be problematic. And, and one of the reasons is that I think there's you're switching vocabularies. People, mm -hmm. You've just been in a work of art, mm -hmm. and now suddenly we're talking about it from the outside. And I think that can be hard to navigate. What what you The way you've solved that problem is to have a standalone event 
where you you kind of create a model for the way to talk about the artistic process because you interview someone for half an hour. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then building on that, people ask their questions. And my experience of the other night was that the questions were somewhat different than the kinds of questions you might get at a talk back. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it was it was very successful for that reason. But the problem is you've got to get people to come, mm-hmm. not on the day they already had a ticket right. for. And so I'm really interested that people are willing to do that, that they come... On we, standalone event. we thought there might be uh, interest, and um, we were surprised by the degree of interest. Mm-hmm. And we've learned for the same some of the same reasons you're suggesting that um, a conversation immediately after a production, while very very valuable, is a different type of conversation. Mm-hmm. It's it tends to be much more, uh, I would say, reactionary, and people are in the middle of processing right. what they have right. just seen. Um, and therefore, they may not have fully formed their ideas or thoughts uh, or be able to even articulate uh, um, what they have just seen. But this off-night series actually brings a, a degree of, um, I think, reflection. Yeah. And uh, and because it's really focused on process and not necessarily the the emotional journey of, of the play, um, it it gives a very different way into the work mm-hmm. um that it's much less about the the uh necessarily the themes or ideas or their emotions that are evoked right. by the the play but much more about the the actual wow. technical craft right. and that's something that i've tried to to be very clear about in the types of questions that i ask is to give them really um unique insights into mm-hmm. what a director's process uh um, might be what uh, a scenic designer's process might be, what a sound designer's process might be. And um, instead of talking generally about um, about what a director does, I right. try to get to exceptional specifics. So, for example, the conversation with the Kimberly Senior, I asked her to bring in ephemera from her process. Right. And she brought in a, a couple really terrific um, pieces that she pulled out of her, her notebook from from directing the show. One of which was a, a, stop right there. Oh yes, because sure. I've got an excerpt from okay, that great. discussion, and it happens to be exactly that one. Okay, great. So let's just uh, for the listeners give a sense of what it is that you're doing up here at Writers Theater, which is great. So, so talk about what what you what your process is like the first time that you read a yeah. play. When when I read a knowing play for I'm the directing. first time, yeah, knowing right. that you're directing it, mm-hmm. I, I yeah. find it so difficult not to jump to problem solving and Mm -hmm. staging and creating the world before I even get to the end of the play. So do you find that to be true when you're Mm -hmm. reading it for the first time? I don't. I don't. For me, it's about being an audience and about being uh, looking for surprise and event. Mm -hmm. And so I'll have the script with me and then next to me I'll keep a piece of paper. And every time something in the play surprises me, I write that down. And the surprise doesn't necessarily have to be like a plot twist per se, but like, oh, wow, that character said something that seemed out of character to me that I, that in, as well as I got to knew this, know this person so far, I was surprised by their response to something or an event happened. So there's a, an interesting detail in the stage direction that feels unexpected. And I write down all of those moments. Um, and I do that because 
when you work on a play, you become so intimate with it. I mean, I probably could recite the letters for you backwards and in like three other languages that I don't even speak. That's how well I know this play. But, um, but that you get to know it so well that you actually lose sight of those moments. They no longer feel like surprises when you know them backwards and forwards. You, you get robbed of those delicious things that are about being an audience. And so I keep the piece of paper with me mm-hmm. so that I can make sure that later on, when I get to know the play really well, that I am still manifesting those moments that are going to be exciting for you when you see it the first time. So that's a little piece of the discussion that happened um, the other night, Kimberly Senior, talking about this what I think of now as the surprise sheet. <laughs> and um, she actually passed that around. Audience members were able to see that piece of paper. And in the Q&A, the way you've structured these, and I don't know if it's always the same, but it was almost exactly 30 minutes of you interviewing Kimberly and then 30 minutes of, uh, of Q&A. <laughs> and in fact, one of the audience members followed up with the question at the end about, well, what what happens to that piece of paper? How do you actually use it throughout the <laughs> uh, rehearsal process? So they are obviously really paying attention and interested. Um, Well, so one of the decisions that needs to be made when you're an interviewer is what level you're going to pitch your questions. And in some ways, you're there as a proxy for the audience. Um, You yourself are a theater professional. This was an interview of a director of another director, but that would be true, really, if you're talking to a scenic designer. You have kind of the inside Mm -hmm. scoop. So how do you go about before the event thinking how to put yourself in the shoes of someone who knows so much less than you do? I start really from the opposite direction with what are the questions that are really rattling around in me uh, for, and, and I come at it from an insider's perspective. The questions that are most interesting to me about a director's particular process on a specific script I definitely start there. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, because that's the thing that, um, I think gets the most compelling answers right. from, from a director in their process. And then I actually don't edit myself much in terms of the way I frame the questions, but then I try to serve as a translator mm-hmm. when I need to be, when there's a, a bit of terminology that comes up that just catches my ear that makes me think, oh, they probably don't know right. what downstage left means or they right. don't, they, they probably don't know what that term means. I try to in, in process field those questions and define it a little bit along the way. Mm-hmm. But I, I really don't censor myself in the process of, of coming up with the questions because when I've done that, the conversations tend to be general mm-hmm. and don't get to the, the core questions that the the designer or the director were working on right. um, that they found compelling. And, and the responses tend to be a little bit more lively and a little more um, specific when when I, I kind of pursue the thing that, that I find I'm itching to know mm-hmm. from the designer. Mm-hmm. Well, like every good story, it, it, it's the details that make it rich or interesting, right. the specific, specific examples. Uh, you, you did have to strike a delicate balance between talking so much about the specifics of the letters that people who hadn't seen it would be lost versus um, uh, being abstract for people who wanted to get down to the mm-hmm. nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. Do you think, is that something you have to think about or do you just kind of pitch it and hope for the best? <laughs> um, I think about it a little bit uh, before we uh, 
I typically meet with the director um, a couple of weeks before and talk generally about how the interview is going to go. And you mean the, the interviewee? Yes. In this case, it was a director. Right. In right. this case, it was a director. Um, and then we typically meet that day of and go over the uh, a few specific things that will hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the conversation tends to go where that where it wants to. I, I really try to stay away from any kind of spoilers, but without the specific language of something that we have in common it's it's hard it, right. it is difficult to to get to the to to something that's really valuable for them to take away so i i try to split the difference between those two things i think one of the there's a very particular type of of audience member that comes to this type of conversation and i think they're the same type of of person that when they watch a, a dvd at home there are also the people that then listen to the director's commentary. Mm-hmm. And um, my wife uh, gives me a hard time um, whenever we're watching television together or watching film because I will point out quite often um, screenwriting and playwriting, uh, uh, dialogue writing, tricks and techniques mm-hmm. that reveal, I think um, – uh, that take away some of the magic right. of of the experience, uh, and um, it drives her crazy. Right. But there's very particular, I think, types of audience members that find those types of insights that give you a sense of how the the um, piece of art is crafted mm-hmm. that deepens and enriches their experience right. rather than takes away from it. But I think it's a it's a particular mindset. Uh, I. Um, and I've noticed that in terms of the types of questions that we get uh, from from this group versus the type of questions that I get uh, when I'm doing a, a talk back. Yeah. Um, the people that come to the making of series uh, are very tend to be very very analytical. Uh, they tend to to really um, like to to hear the detailed thought process of why a decision was made, um, and, and I think that's that is. That's a, a an individual pleasure of coming to this kind of talk over a talkback. You know, I think that's a really interesting point because I think maybe another reason that I sometimes find talkbacks problematic, which I had never formulated for myself, is that different people want different things from it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And from this event, people are self-selecting. Mm-hmm, they know who mm-hmm. they are. They're the ones mm-hmm. who do want to see what goes on behind the curtain um, and won't get annoyed to have the, mm-hmm. the magic explained, so mm-hmm. to speak. Well, maybe since we're talking about audience members, I've, I've got another excerpt from the Q&A section. Great. We can listen to that. Um, over here. Uh, does it tend to be easier or harder to direct a play that you've seen performed before? Oh, that's such a great question. I think mine was the only one that wasn't a great question. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know why? Because your question was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I've rarely had the opportunity to direct a play I've seen before. You've never seen All My Sons? I had never seen all my sons. The Pillow Man is actually the one that mm-hmm. I was gonna that I was gonna refer to, mm-hmm. which Stuart's also directed in mm-hmm. a different production, although mm-hmm. I did not see yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I had seen the Pillow Man originally, it was in a very large scale, huge, um, proscenium theater, you know, five hundred forty seats, a big a big show. And when I saw it, and I had read it, and then I saw it, and I felt like the play was missing some of the creepy terror I had felt in the play when I had read it, and um, the place where I eventually directed it was in a room not any bigger than this, where the audience sat on two sides. Like it was sort of 
in, in, in a response to what I had seen, in a being like, oh, this is what I felt I had missed from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've actually, I haven't had that many, that's because I've directed that's a lot a, of it, classic it's plays. It's a very delicate thing. Yeah. Because um, I, I've stayed away from productions <laughs> that I just felt were seminal. And, and I said, I have that interpretation so moved me and was so compelling that I'm not sure what I have to add to that conversation. And, well, yes, and I've, there's I've, that feeling. I've passed on projects like that. And then other projects, I've um, I've been in the same position that, that Kimberly is suggesting with The Pillow Man, that I felt like I desperately needed to be in dialogue with that other production because I so disagreed with either the frame or the point of view on it or the, the attack as a director. Um, to... To the point of with one production, I felt like I went too far in the extreme because I had <laughs> right. seen that production. I disagreed with the the quality of, of underlying menace in the production that I thought it was too light mm-hmm. and too so easy. Menacing. And my production was so cruel <laughs> to, to the point of uh, abusing the audience. It like so swung in the opposite direction. So sometimes that can be a trap because you're in dialogue with something that the rest of the audience is not in dialogue with. They're seeing it for the first time. And and you may be um, uh, responding. So that gives a little flavor of some of these analytical questions. I thought that was a, a terrific question. And actually, it really was true that all the questions were really great mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go back to um, early on, you talked about points of entry for your audience. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I'm very interested in. Why Why do you think it is that theaters are increasingly putting so much resources into this idea of engaging audiences beyond just putting on a great show and the audience comes and has whatever response they have? I I think that we're recognizing that the experience of being a part of a community and in live actual dialogue with uh, another human being is what we do best and, um, and is is such a, an alternative to the other forms of entertainment that are out there that I think we're simply accentuating what live theater already does mm-hmm. by allowing the conversation to go both ways. Um, the live experience uh, is definitely a two-way street in performance to a degree with the, the responsiveness to an actor, to an audience. But I think we're building on that sense of being in the room together and talking about ideas when we have conversations like the Making Up series and talkbacks. And I think that's why that the feeling, uh, feeling the need to engage on, on that individual level is becoming more and more important is because it is what is unique about the theatrical experience of being in the room together. Um, and it, and I think it's just a, a, a deeper way to, um, uh, continue a conversation about a performance. And I agree with all that, but I have to think there also has to be some conversation in the boardroom about just the economics of it or the, mm-hmm. again, the diversion of mm-hmm. resources. You know, mm-hmm. the, the making of series is free. Um, clearly, the institution feels that you're getting something out of it. Oh, yeah. And just I, pushing a little deeper. What absolutely. Are getting? I We're getting, I think there's a... Um, that one-to-one relationship where uh, you can ask questions of an artist and get a direct response, that one-to-one engagement um, develops a sense of uh, community. And 
with that sense of community comes a sense of loyalty mm-hmm. and with a sense of loyalty comes return ticket buying. Right. Uh, so uh, there, there's absolutely both a desire for, um, a more enriched, uh, educated audience base that, that can get more out of the, the performance that you're presenting, but also finding other ways to deepen ties to an audience, um, uh, is the impulse behind, is an equal impulse behind why we put our resources to that. Because you're right, it, it, it actually takes quite a bit to pull together, um, an event like the Making of series. It seems simple while you're there, mm. but the reservation taking and the planning and the making, um, artists available and we pay our artists to come in and have those conversations. Um, but it's an investment that we're making in, um, deepening our audience's experience of the work and, and hopefully, increasing their their loyalty and connection to the company as well. Well, in my experience, again, of, of the other night, and I think it probably comes through in those excerpts we played, is, you know, it was a cold night. It was Monday. I know. People had slept there. <laughs> and there was a feeling in the room that it, part of it probably is that people had seen, most of the people had seen the right, play. Right. So now you have that shared point of reference. You have become the the group who can talk about it, and right. that was cool. And then um, just the, the tenor of the conversation was obviously fun and engaging. Yeah. And, and you can just tell that people had a great time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's the one of the things that is very important to me is I want I find such pleasure in every stage of uh, designing and directing and rehearsing a play that I want to make sure that we're communicating the pleasure, uh, the hard work and the detail and the thoughtfulness right. that goes into the work, but also the pleasure and fun of the act of creation and and. It's important to me to to share both of those elements so that audiences understand the the care with which we make every single decision that right. we make on the stage right. that there are there's very little that has not been considered and reconsidered and thought through but also the the pleasure of the act of creation i want the audience to leave feeling inspired by that right. and maybe they can take a little bit of that energy or that spark of creativity or inspiration into their own lives as well so i definitely see those interviews as a little bit of uh performance as mm-hmm. well and right. and i want people to have a good time while they're there not just an intellectually um engaging time but a but but also uh, to feel energized by by the conversation. There are lots of laughs. Just going to pick up on one. And it's thing easy with Kimberly Senior yes, as well, right. who's, She's who's so witty engaging. and fun. Right, right. One you talked about the littlest details and, and a fascinating thing that came out of the um, out of the discussion. She was talking about a locket that Kate Fry wears in the character of Anna, and and Kimberly points out that you know you can see this chain and you know there's a pendant or something, but it's hidden in mm-hmm. her neckline, and that had a meaning to mm-hmm. Kimberly and which having now seen the play, I totally understood about privacy in public. Anyway, mm-hmm. those kind of little details that can come out in those conversations are fascinating. Well, I want to thank you for joining me to talk about it. Uh, uh, I think it's a, a very interesting and a successful approach to giving audiences another way to have a dialogue. And if people want to come and check it out, um, we feature the Make Enough series on our uh, main uh 
uh, on our splash page on our website. So as soon as you come to our website on the bottom right-hand corner, uh, Making Up Series is highlighted there, and I'll tell you when the next one is, which is featuring Doug Peck, uh, who's the music director and has reorchestrated uh, the music for Sweet Charity. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks.